We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. If you have your Bibles, you can stay in Psalm 139. And if we haven't said it yet, um, welcome to the gathering. We are glad you're here. And uh, we're glad that uh, God's promises are true. In that when um, two, three, or more people are gathered, that He is there in the midst of us. And so... Um, you know, as we were singing and as I was just hearing uh, the Sanctity of Life team, I just thought it'd be good to pause just so that we're not like running to the next thing, running to the next thing. But let's just pause. Um, the person beside you, your spouse, family member, fellow church member, whatever, um, go ahead and just um, share with them one thing uh, that, this, that, the, that the Lord has ministered to you so far in this service. Maybe it's a, a lyric uh, that we sung, maybe it's something that was read, uh, said, maybe someone said something to you in the, in the, in the lobby area, but uh, um, uh, share so that you can be aware of him working in your life. So let's just take two, three minutes. Just go, you know what? I needed to hear that, that song, this same, this verse. Go ahead. That's good. To be continued. To be continued. Uh, keep talking it up at lunch and um, continue to be aware of what the Lord's doing in your life and how he's using even this time together as we assemble uh, to work. Um, just on a personal note, um, it, is, it is easy to get caught up in a rhythm, isn't it? Of like, this is what we do and we show up at church and and then we sing, we stand, stand, sit, stand, sit, okay, and sermon, okay, and then we lunch. And you just kind of like follow these, these liturgies sometimes with, with just emptiness. And I just want to say um, that we really do believe that the Lord works as we gather, um, that he, he uses the songs chosen he, that we sing. He uses the scripture read. He uses sermons. This is not just like... Um, me trying to come up with something cool to say uh, to fill our time. But like, I really believe that the preaching of God's word transforms hearts. And so each Sunday, I'm just, I'm so excited to see what the Lord does through his word. And I just want to invite you into that. So shall we begin our time? Let's do it. Um, if it hasn't been said yet, it is Sanctity of Life Sunday. 
this happens once a year across the nation. Uh, Ronald Reagan actually instituted it, uh, saying one, one Sunday um, in January, preferably the third Sunday or whatever, we want uh, churches all across the country to set it aside and value um, the worth of life, um, especially, uh, and why he instituted was especially the unborn. And so every year um, we, we devote this particular Sunday to remember that. Um, and it's, and it's, it's more than just like um, a, a, a message of anti-abortion. Uh, it's uh, which is absolutely critical and essential. This is this, we're talking about the beginning of life. It's more than just hey, watch out for euthanasia towards the end of life, right? But as uh, Carrie said, Faith said, this is a holistic heart of God that He loves life from beginning to end. He is crazy about it. From we can say from womb to tomb, and. Um, it covers so much. And so um, this, this time together won't be exhaustive, but um, I think that it'll be a good time. When it says sanctity of life, um, sanctity means to set apart, to put it aside and to view it as uh, something of worth. It can also be said it is holy. And so today we're going we're gonna to cover what it means to uh, view life in a holy or sanctimonious manner. Um, Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson once uh, talked about what it means to treat others with value. And he wrote this, you know this well, and says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men were created what? Equal, that's right that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life. That's what we'll focus on, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, Francis Schaeffer, a, a, a Swiss theologian, once wrote this. This is kind of a, a longer quote, but this is going to establish um, where we're headed. Uh, he said, cultures can be judged in many ways, but eventually every nation in every age, must be judged by this test. You ready? How did it treat its people? Our own is not exception. Those who regard individuals as expendable raw material do battle on many fronts with those who see each person as unique. Catch this. These are going to be four great words. Unique. Special worthwhile, and irreplaceable. Don't you love those four words? Francis Schaeffer, when he talks about the, all of life in general, this is what we're talking about, the people. Every person is unique, special, worthwhile, and irreplaceable. I love those. I wish, just at a personal and, and even like timely manner, I wish someone would have told those four words to the girl at Lebanon High School this past week who took her own life. That she's special. She's unique. She's worthwhile and irreplaceable. That, um, that suicide this past week rocked Lebanon High School. 
and students were flocking to counselors and um, it has it has created a lot of chaos and also a lot of opportunities for the gospel but i wish i wish that someone would have told her that she was special and unique uh, so this sunday uh, this sunday here's how i'd like to just frame our time there's one particular conversation that i that i want to share with you and just welcome you in and make this time a conversation it was a conversation that i had uh, in Burundi, East Africa, last summer with a, a man named Sam. Uh, Sam is uh, in his later 40s. And he, um, he was watching my daughter and I all week um, as we held hands, as, as I opened the car door for her, as we laughed together, as we just like, just like, just lived life together. And he pulled me aside and he said, um, I want to let you know that um, I, I've just been really enjoying seeing um, you, you, you as a daddy. Um, my, my dad really never showed up in my life. Uh, he, he never told me he loved me. I was in high school. I was so excited about my grades in high school. And I just wish my dad would have said, good job, Sam. You're doing a great job with your grades. When I graduated high school, I just, I wish you would have been there to like watch me walk across the stage and take me by the shoulder and say, dad, like, Sam, I'm proud of you. I, I really wanted to hear that as a, as, as a son. I went to college and my dad didn't ever show up at, at like my, my dorm room. I kind of just wanted to say, dad, I'm, I'm, I'm here. Look at where I sleep. Right. He said he didn't. He didn't even like offer to help with school tuition. It was really expensive. Most of all, I just, I just, I just wish I could have been his friend. I wish he would have remembered me, valued me in my life. And I've, and I've always wanted to hear that from Dad. So the title of, of this sermon is Dear Sam. Uh, so it's to my friend, but um, uh, as you could have guessed, like you can you can replace Sam with with your name uh, with a, with a friend that you're thinking about. Um, Sam, um, this is how he received um, uh, what his life was of worth, um, and this is in general the um, the philosophy of parenting in East Africa, but especially Burundi. The philosophy of kids is this. Um, get out of here. Shoo. You're not wanted. You're a distraction. You're, you're, you're bothering me. And so I, I want you to go because life is lived better without you. Better just not either seen or heard. So children, please go. And what we see in the heart of God um, is something entirely different. And so, um, so dear Sam, so here's some questions. We're gonna uh, here's some answers from Scripture for Sam. Okay, so here's the first question. That, that, that I want to talk about with Sam. And when I go back this summer 
we're going to devote a lot of time uh, to talking about his worth and what God thinks of him. So Sam, Sam, when do you think uh, God first took an active interest in you? When do you think he, he like initially got really excited about you and just like smiled at you, right? Was it, was it at your birth? Was it at your spiritual birth? Was it at baptism? Depending on what you know, uh, spiritual background you're from, was it, was it at your confirmation? Was that when God took an interest in your life? Well, if you just join with me in Psalm 139, you will see that God's Word teaches that even before you were born, Sam, that He took an interest in you. Look at verse 13 with me. This is Psalm 139, verse 13. It says this, For you, this is God, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Older translation of this verse says, um, For thou hast possessed my reins. <laughs> we don't talk like that anymore. It's kind of funny to call your, your insides your reins. But in the Hebrew language, why they, why they translate it as reins is that the insides or the stomach region was the control center of all of life. The reins on a horse where you rein it in and can control a stallion, right? The insides um, were the control center. Um, some Bible scholars specifically say that this means the kidneys. The kidneys were viewed as the... the um, as the seat of the desires and longings. So when we talk about reins, or when we talk about, you form me in my inward parts, what it's talking about is that He was a part and initialized and started even the deepest parts of your desires and longings and, your, and how you were created. Even your eating habits. <laughs> uh, the Maasai tribe in East Africa, we're all about Africa, I guess, this morning, um, doesn't talk about uh, conversion in the way that we do, where we say, oh, when did you become a Christian? Or when did you receive Christ in your heart? The Maasai tribe talks about uh, when they receive Christ in their tumbo, their stomach. Why? Because they think about food all the time, just as we do, right? Uh, they, it, it drives them, it forces them to hunt, and, it, and it, they, talk, they think about it when they're looking after their cattle, and when they wake up, and then when, when they go to bed, they're thinking about things. And so, of course, the most obvious thing would be to invite Christ into the control center, that which like, they think about, and, and it drives their actions and all their schedule. Yes, I'm inviting Christ into the very center of my life. The tumbo. They feel everything there. And that's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying that God, when He formed you, He was a part of your, the very seat of your affections, the control center. He was involved in the most secret places in your life and in your body. And guess what? He has the reins. He's in control. All of this 
of all of this discussion of your inward parts is incredibly intimate. God's involvement in creating the, the deepest part of you um, is not a statement where it's it says, oh, he's just like he just like thought about it once um, and then like kind of whipped it out there and it just happened. He it took you at your most vulnerable state, your most helpless state, when you were yet to be born. That's when he was interested in you and, and, and was forming you. Bible scholars agree that this psalm teaches that the, the developing unborn, or we say the preborn child, is the expression of God's greatest creation. And because we were formed in God's image, in the image of God, human life, therefore, is sacred. Look at the rest of 13 with me. It says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Isn't that a great image? I don't know about you. Uh, you probably know this about me, but I am not a knitting expert. I'm not a, a crocheting expert. I probably couldn't tell you the difference between the two, um, but I've seen like some needles go on um, in my house, um, but I've never done it, okay? Thankfully, uh, you don't have to understand knitting in order to understand what God's trying to say here. The word um, to knit um, in Hebrew is the word sakak. And it's used 24 times in the scriptures. Um, and and um, when you look at the other contexts that it's used in the scriptures, you see that it's always used with um, angelic activity and temple use. The word sakak, S-A-K-A-K, -A -A always used when, it, when, when it's talking about angels and when it's talking about Old Testament stuff in, happening in the temple. The word itself means to weave or to join together or to cover. And so what does it mean when it says that God knit us together in our mother's womb, contextually, biblically, it's saying that when He was forming and creating, weaving and covering you, that it was a divine activity and that it always happens. That sort of weaving, protecting, covering, it always happens in sacred places, in special places, in holy places. He's saying that the womb is sacred. The very pl place of a woman where a baby grows is a sacred and holy place, much like the temple. I don't think you have to be a believer even to see that or recognize that. I say that from just personal um, um, experience. Um, when my wife was pregnant four times, it was incredible to watch people watch her. It's really fun, right? I remember one specific time in Texas when we were in this grocery store called Sprouts. And my wife is not necessarily um, the tallest person in the world. You may not have known that. She's very gifted in being just perfect.
perfectly made, her right size. But the way that God made her is that when uh, she's pregnant, she grows all this way, right? And so when she was like eight or nine months pregnant, she was walking up to the counter, and um, I don't know the voting record of this person. It might have been red, it might have been blue, but it doesn't matter because 100% of people that see pregnant women go, I don't know why it doesn't translate on the voting card. But I remember the specific time where this lady at the checkout counter goes, I'm sorry, ma'am, she's talking to my wife, but uh, you're going to have to put that watermelon back on the rack. (laughs) And it was like, she's right, babe. You know, what are we going to do? Yeah, Uh, just all that way. It's just beautiful. People recognize that there's something special happening in the womb of a woman. And so Sam, Sam, when do you think that God first took an interest in you? When do you think that God takes an interest in you? Was it, is, it, is it when you just like hit that three-pointer or made that like uh, big deal in business? Is that when God said, oh, okay, now he's worth my time. What we're saying this morning is from the Scriptures that, that the very fact that he created you shows you that you are of worth. And that your life is set apart and holy. He weaved you and joined you, protected you and covered you in a divine and sacred place, your mother's womb. After that, you should feel like a million bucks. Let's ask another question for Sam. Hey, Sam. What was God's skill level when he made you? That is to say, and let me just kind of try to peel back the onion layers on that, because this is how we all think, okay? Another way to frame it would be, hey, Sam, do you think that that God made any mistakes when he made you? Did he make you haphazardly? Or that is to say, and this gets really ingrained in the heart, involved in the psyche of a man. Do you feel that your dad forgot you and left you and treated the way, treated you the way he did because you did something wrong? You screwed something up. You were born. You got in the way. You're bothersome. You're a distraction to him. Is that what, is that what you believe? Did God make any mistakes? That's what we're going to ask. What do you think the answer is? No way! Is it your fault that F, Y, Z, A, B, happened? No! Did you do something to mess up and ruin someone's life just by being you, just by being born? No. Don't just take it from me though. What do you think God's Word says? His word says that his skill level is perfection. And he makes no mistakes. Look at the next verse. So here we are. It says, verse 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. Just side note, 
little plug for the Creation Museum. Uh, I don't get paid for this or get a discount for it, but hey, guys, people from all over the world travel to this area to see the Creation Museum and the Ark Museum. The Creation uh, Ark Encounter, the Creation Museum has a wonderful, wonderful exhibition called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, and it is worth every cent. And uh, parents, if you want to take your kids, it's probably best to take them when they're of reading age because there's a whole lot of reading, but save your pennies and go there as quick as you can. It's a wonderful thing. Look at what this psalmist is saying, though. It's almost like he peers into the complexity of the human body and marvels at it. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I asked my wife this week, hey, sweetheart, what do you think... um, what do you think is the coolest part about the human body that like you can think of and remember? And she goes, oh, I, I've really been into rhinoceroses lately and how there, there's, there's this symbiotic relationship between rhinos and birds and how they like depend on one another and this and that. And I was just like, she was cutting my hair actually at the time. So I was at her mercy. Um, and I was like, wow, that is really special about rhinos. I love that. Um, what do you think about humans, though? <laughs> what about like mankind? <laughs> um, and you know, to her credit, she was like in it with fourth grade science with my Lucy, and so she was just thinking about rhinos. But let me tell you about the fascinating facts about the human body. Okay, ready for this? Each square inch, okay, of your body. Each square inch of your skin consists of of 20 feet, 20 feet of blood vessels. And if you were to combine all of your blood vessels in your body and just lay it it out end over end, it would cover 62,000 miles. Isn't that wild? That's a lot of blood vessels. The average brain weighs three pounds. Please, no jokes about your husbands, right? Okay. Average brain, three pounds. Ready? There are 10 million nerve cells in your brain. 10 million. Of that three pounds, 10 million of them. Your brain sends messages to the rest of your body at a rate of 240 miles an hour. It's pretty fast. Listen to this. This is a quote by uh, Dr. Werner Gitt. Um, in information, the third fundamental quantity. Here we go. Without a doubt, the most complex information processing system in existence is the human body. If we take all information processes together, i.e. conscious ones, language, information control, deliberate deliberate voluntary movements, and unconscious ones, information controlled functions of the organs, hormone system, This involves the processing of 10 to the 24th power bits daily. This astronomically high figure is higher by a factor of 1 million times greater than the total human knowledge of 10 to the 18th power bits stored in all the world's libraries combined. Isn't that wild? One human brain sends more messages, communicates faster and better than all the books in all the world combined. Boom. 
Dear Sam, God loves you. He takes an interest in you. And he created you perfectly. You didn't screw up. And this means that he actually delights in you. Your heavenly father delights in you just the way you are. Hey, Sam, let me ask you another question. I know you must be thinking this. And so I'm just going to take a stab at it. Here's my question. Even though my father, even though your father didn't really see you, does God? Like, does, does God notice you? And so Sam, here's the truth of God's word is that he sees you and he has a plan for your life. Look at 15 and 16. Uh, let me read them for us. It says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Here's 16. Your eyes saw my unformed body, my substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. This means that God was the author of your life. He's the author of your story. He didn't just write the introduction at birth, chapter one, and just like kind of say, well, it's kind of a choose your own adventure from here. Why don't you just, you know, go from there? He has written every chapter of your life and is the master grammarian. He knows every comma, every period, every, every exclamation. He knows everything about your life and has a wonderful plan for it. He's intimately involved in the writing of every single word, of every chapter, of every part of your life. Look at 17 with me. It says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they're more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. I love that verse. I remember, um, okay, so art moment, okay? All you art fans, just like get all hyped up because I'm going to use an art illustration. I have seen a lot of art and I want to tell you about the piece of art that has moved me most in my life, okay? I've seen the statue of David with my own eyes in Florence, Italy. I've seen the Sistine Chapel in the Vatican where, the, you know, Michelangelo painted those two fingers, God touching Adam, right? Um, the most significant, the most meaningful and impactful piece of art that I've ever seen um, is when I walked into a friend's office and I looked on his shelf and I saw this, this piece of pottery. It was laying on its side, cracked and broken. And, uh, and my friend saw uh, me looking at the, this piece of pottery and he noticed like that I had questions and I wasn't asking him, you know, you don't want to like bash a guy on like his choice of like what he puts on a shelf. Right. I mean, I have a Packers helmet on my shelf, um, which, you know, <laughs> that needs no question except maybe after last night. I mean, I realized that they lost last night. But. And so like I was looking at that shelf and he goes, Hey, let me tell you about that. Uh, it's uh, most jars. Uh, it was it was this like vase jar thing, vase, uh -huh. and uh, uh, most sit upright. Um, 
and, and have like special functions where you can put stuff in them. Um, but this one, this one sits on its side and um, it, it was made with a little bit more cracks than usual on purpose and is broken in certain areas. Um, and and the, the guy who formed it didn't, didn't want, didn't want to, to quote unquote fix it. It was, it was, it was what he was creating. It was what he was delighting in and, and, uh, and, and making himself. And um, I said, who made it? And, and he said, well, the, the, the maker of, of this, this piece of pottery has a son who has special needs. Um, this jar takes a lot of attention. And if I were to take these rubber stoppers off the shelf, it would roll off the, the shelf and, and uh, crash. And um, if, if I were to just handle it haphazardly, it would just, it would just crack and break and fall up to in. And so it, I, I need to nurture this, this piece of art and care for it and, and really protect it. But the purpose of it was so that, so that the artist would, would tell you that he's making it not for some specific function, but he's just actually making it because he loves pottery. And he's delighting in this piece of work that he made. And while you might be comparing it to other jars, um, this is actually unique and wonderful and perfect, just the way it was made to sit on its side with these not missing pieces anymore, but just the, the angles that it, that, that it was chosen and the cracks that were given to it to display the potter just delights in his work. It's pretty moving for me. And this is the story really of, of each one of us. If we, if we can receive this truth that God loves us, that he created us and he delights in you and he has a plan for you, this changes everything. This, this enters into your ears and travels the 18 inches to your heart and changes the, your whole identity. If you know that the potter just loves you. He loves life. He just loves making pots. This knowledge that can transform people, um, this doesn't just lead to social um, justice or, um, or, or social activity. It doesn't just cause the, either the believer or the non-believer to activism. Although that's a part of it, it would be cheap just to say that. So, hey, based off of Psalm 139, let's go, right? But really, all, all these beautiful truths about you, about life, leads you to the gospel. It makes you a worshiper. It causes you to delight in your creator and causes your heart to, to raise, to lift up, to sing, to, to, to elevate to the highest parts because God delights in you and he didn't make any mistakes.
It's not an ambiguous worship. It actually leads you to the person of Jesus. John 1.14 says that the word, that Jesus became flesh, and that he dwelt among us. Isn't that beautiful? That Jesus, that God so valued life, he sent his son to take on life like us. He became a man. He took on flesh. And when we look at the life of Jesus Christ, we see each chapter of life represented that he was, he was conceived, he was born, he, was, he died, he, he rose again. Resurrection is represented. He took on flesh and he dwelt among us. And all of that is represented because God so loved the world. He loved all peoples, Jews, Gentiles alike, the world that he sent his son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And this gospel, this gospel changes us and it causes us to, to love him and to love others. And when we say others, it's not just the people that are easy to love anymore. It's even the people that are unseen. We saw a year ago or so when we studied Acts that, that, that the love of the Lord jumped its banks in the people's hearts so much that they reached out and, uh, to help those in need. They were having a drought. And they didn't even see them. They didn't have contact with them on a daily basis. They just loved the Lord and loved people, and so they looked to help people. And so if you were to ask, um, what or how does the Gospel advance the sanctity of human life? It's like, just a, that's a slam dunk. It's like way more than Jefferson could ever answer with life and love and the pursuit of happiness. The gospel would lead us to say that every human life, preborn, child, all the way to the end, every human being at every stage of existence should be treated as what they are, being made in the image of God. And just by the truth that God became man and took on flesh, leads us to the conviction that no human being can be treated as worthless. No human life should be treated without dignity. And this, this should cause us, and, and we're praying that God, these truths, they would open their eyes, that we would see others with as much worth as God sees them. And so let me just close our time with just a few, a few examples of people living for Christ and valuing human life wherever it's at. And you could even just get all these examples from our own church. But let me just pick some examples from outside. Uh, uh, Amy Carmichael. There's a book called uh, 50 People Every Christian Should Know. Um, Amy Carmichael uh, was a missionary to India a long time ago. And she was born... Uh, with brown eyes. And that's significant, a significant part of her story because 
Um, when she looked around and when she was comparing to other girls around her, uh, Amy Carmichael was a white girl, she wanted blue eyes. And she felt like God made a mistake by giving her brown eyes. And she just looked in the mirror every day and was like, Lord, why didn't you give me blue eyes? There's, it's so much more pretty to have blue eyes, right? And one day she heard that there were some children um, in India being sold into child prostitution in the temples of, of, of India. And she um, just was felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to get up and move and help these, these children. And when she got over there, guess what? She realized that she looked a little different than the Indian people. And she would rub shoe polish on, on her skin. But guess what? Uh, 100% of Indians, that's probably, a, I don't know, this, that's not a fact, but most Indians that I know of have brown eyes. <laughs> and God, um, God gave her brown eyes for a special purpose to minister in the country of India. As she was putting on, on shoe polish and trying to blend in and saving children uh, in the hundreds and in the thousands from being sold into slavery. She wasn't an activist. She just loved God. And God loves life and is so enamored with life and, 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 and never makes any mistakes and so views and treats everyone with no partiality. And so Amy Carmichael, of course, was like, why not? This is the gospel at hand. This is the gospel at work. If you're looking to read a good missionary biography, she probably has one of the best titles. And it was, um, I didn't write it down, but it's a Born to Die. A Chance to Die, thank you. A Chance to Die. Another example, Gladys Allward. Gladys Allward was a remarkable woman born in 1902 and dedicated her life to Jesus Christ in the work. She moved to China, and there was a period of time in the Chinese history during the Second Sino-Japanese War that um, she, um, she, started, she started adopting children, and she had over 100 kids, and there was this moment when all these children were not safe. And she was like, what are we going to do, Lord? What should I do? And she's like, I just got to get them out of here. And there's this just famous story of her leading all the kids, kind of like Moses and the people, God's people, like out of Egypt and into the promised land. And she's just taking step by step, just trusting the Lord. And they got to this river and she stops she can't cross the river. It's too fast. It's too deep. The kids would die. And she just prays, Lord, would you provide a way to cross this river? I know you love children. I know you love life. And I'm asking you, would you preserve? And like, as she opens her eyes, some of these like random soldiers came with this boat. And they're like, hey, what are you doing with those kids? Can we give them a ride? Right? And, and she loaded up all the kids and they crossed the river and all the kids and Gladys were safe. And this woman trusted in the Lord. She was like a beacon of light, hope, compassion, a wonderful woman of God ministers to, like, to me every time I read her story. Amy Carmichael, Gladys Allward. Whoa, Mike, those are like amazing stories of missionary. What about 
There's a story I heard this week of a, of a mom valuing her child. This is a mom who got a law degree. In every sense of the word, like, quote-unquote, should be successful and, like, working and making six figures. She's homeschooling her kids, and one of her kids gets easily distracted. Can you imagine that, kids? And, and so... Um, instead of working in the kitchen, instead of working in like their basement and or what, they have to work in an eight by eight room. And this mom, with joy and delight, homeschools her five kids every day and helps them be focused so that they would learn and grow uh, in God's image. She is the modern day Amy Carmichael. She's valuing human life and helping her children learn and grow. Moms, dads, don't get discouraged out there. You don't have to be Amy. You don't have to be Gladys. You just have to be obedient to whatever the Lord puts in front of you. One more story, and then we'll shut down our time. This one's chosen to, to um, reveal a holistic view, not just like not just one angle of it. But I remember in 2017, my wife and I had the chance to travel to uh, Montana. Anytime we travel, we visit a church, I would encourage you to do the same. It expands your view of the kingdom of God. When you get to meet other bodies of Christ, hey, we're from Cincinnati, right? We, we, this church that we visited, um, this is, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but it's a fun fact. We were, we're like, hey, we're from Cincinnati. Like all these people met us. And we're like, oh, and this one girl goes, oh, do you know Fiona? <laughs> That's wonderful. How's Fiona doing? And we're like, Fiona is famous all over this country, you know? If you don't know who Fiona is, come on, guys. That's our hippo. That's our hippo, right? We should be proud. Okay, but when we were in this church, okay, look it up. Cornerstone Bible Church in Montana, uh, Hamilton, Montana. Walked in there, and it was, we were expecting, and I'm just like not going to be so PC. Right? We were expecting in Montana to see a whole bunch of white people, right? It's Montana. Like, come on. And so we walk in there, and out of a congregation of 100, I don't know, 150 or so, I promised there would be, there was like 30 or 40 Filipino kids. And so we're like, something's going on. Like, what, 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 what there's, a, there's a cool story, and we're visiting, and we don't know it. Um, these kids, each of them were missing something significant. Um, short arm, uh, leg, hand, fingers. Uh, eyes. Uh, one of them had a large scar from eyebrow all the way to the back of the head, right? And you're like, there, there's something's going on. During meet and greet, um, you can tell the people that like um, get church. They're not just there to consume, but they're like there to encourage and minister and reach out to others, right? And so like, they came right up to us. Hey, we noticed you're visiting. What's your name? This and that. Hey, can we say? And we're like, hey, we'd love to just hear the story of your congregation, noticing that there's a lot of, a lot of Filipino kids around. Oh, yeah, stay after. We'd love to tell you that. We stayed after, and we found out that one family decided to be obedient to the Lord and adopt a kid from the Philippines. When you adopt, you immediately invite hardship into your home. This isn't an easy thing to do. Um, it's been really hard. And they were talking about how 
this particular girl that they adopted. They had to hide all the knives in the house for like the first five years. It was just hard. It was just a difficult situation. And the whole church helped that one family adopt that, that one girl from the Philippines. And they would bring them meals and babysit, you know, according to the law and legalities, things like that. And then there was another family that were like, whatever you did, I want to I wanna do the same. And so they traveled over. And then there was two families with two Filipino kids. And then after a few years, you know what? The Lord's been working. And then a few families flew over to the Philippines. And after like 10, 15 years, all of a sudden this one church in random Montana is adopting 30 or 40 kids from the Philippines that wouldn't have otherwise had the chance. Why? Why would they do that? Why would they invite hardship? Why not just pursue the American dream? love the Lord. They they see Him as worthy, and so they see life as as worth it. Let's help that kid. He's he's worth it. Let's give him a chance. That's it. So dear Sam, you're worth it. Lord, We love you. And we thank you that you love us. And every child, every person has worth. And Lord, forgive us for forgetting that. That Forgive us for thinking that it's what we do and it's what we say and it's our accomplishments. And oh Lord, forgive us. We want to serve you with our lives. And we want to value what you value. And so help us this week to live large, to live with joy, and to live um, delighting in Christ because he is delighting in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.